Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The Telegraph. The Telegraph. Podcasts. Hi there, podcast fans. I'm Tom Gibbs. Welcome to Telegraph Audio Football Club. Today, Tottenham somehow managed to draw against Manchester City and we are asking all the big questions like, is Pep Guardiola getting a bit too ticky-tactile with his constant on-pitch hugs? It's a disappointing first game at Stamford Bridge for the Frank Lampard experience, while signs elsewhere of great promise at plucky underdogs Norwich, Sheffield United and Arsenal. Plus, a look at all the big stories in the Football League, as well as some time for your favourite footballing fins. Let's take you now into the audio recording facility where I'm joined after a week of rest by Matt Law. How are you, Matt? Not rested. No? A week with the kids. Oh. Definitely not rested. Fun. Problem children? No, no. All good. Well, they're problem children on the way back. On the way back, one was sick in the car, which made the other one sick in the car, and then one wet themselves. Oh, dear. What a horrible slice of life that is. JJ Bull, how are you? How's your domestic life? Domestic life is fine. Good. Yeah, I had a whole weekend off as well. Oh, wonderful. It was delightful. But watch loads of football. Yeah, loads. I went to the Emirates on Saturday. Fantastic. That was nice. Good. Look forward to some insight from there. Joining us today for the first time since we reformatted the show, I believe, uh, is Chief Sports Reporter Jeremy Wilson. How are you, Jeremy? Yeah, I'm good. I'm very good. I can relate to Matt's uh, school <laughs> school holidays are slightly more tiring than work. non-school holidays <laughs> and work. Well, it's like, it's like the present and the past for you, because obviously you used to spend all your time at the Emirates, but not so much these days. No, no. Well, Sam Dean doesn't miss miss too many games, so I've, no, I've not. I've only been back once in the last season, which is... I did manage to... Go to St Mary's on Saturday. Excellent, excellent. We'll look forward to hearing all about that. Let's start with the biggest game of the weekend, which I think was Manchester City drawing two with Spurs. City pulled back twice. Thought they had a late winner, but it was not to be. Let's hear first from our chief football writer, Sam Wallace, who was there for us. Another amazing game, really, as far as VAR is concerned. Um, as you will probably know by now, it was a late injury time winner by Gabriel Jesus, which was ruled out because uh, the VAR, uh, Graham Scott, who was uh, from working from the studio in London, saw a medic Laporte handle the ball in the build-up to the goal. Um, the rules have changed that any uh, handball which is material in the build-up of a goal, whether it's scoring the goal directly or indirectly creating it, is now handball. So the decision was correct under the laws of the game, but there's certainly a lot of debate over whether those laws are right and given that we're on the 14th protocol uh, 14th version of the protocol written by David Ellery of the VAR laws I think it's safe to say that it could change again Uh, Guardiola afterwards Pep Guardiola just said that he felt uh, there was inconsistency he cited a few examples of when VAR hadn't intervened especially in the first half uh, when um, Eric Lamella seemed to push over the midfielder Rodri which looked like a clear penalty Anyway, um, I'm sure the VAR debate will go on and on, uh, but in terms of the game, City should have won it. 30 shots on goal um, compared to just three for Tottenham. Uh, They look very good, and really I think just Tottenham uh, were fortunate to escape with a point. Sam, they're falling slightly outside of our one-minute limit remit on VAR chat. Obviously wasn't briefed about it. We'll have severe words with him, Joel Grove. Our producer will be in touch with him, I'm sure, but... As Sam says, this game was a bit of a battering for Spurs. And without using the forbidden three-letter acronym, 
How on earth did it not end in a win for City? I thought Spurs were terrible, actually. Worst I've seen them play for quite quite some time. Um, Ericsson was awful. I thought Danny Rose had a poor game. Um, and Dombele, I didn't think, did very well. I just thought they were... They started badly and never really got into it and somehow somehow nicked that draw. But I, I'd be slightly concerned if I was a Spurs fan, by the way, they've started those first two games because they've been, they were sloppy against Villa as well um, and particularly sloppy in that game. And they, they just got away with it. They really did. Yeah, came completely on the margins, especially, I thought. What I would say about Spurs, JJ, is they do seem to have a little bit of a weird effect on City, They're, where they can be under the cosh for most of the game and then just sneak those goals. Neither of their goals all that convincing, a little bit soft. Have they got something going on there? Is there some mystery tactic that I'm missing, or, or is it just fortune that's getting them uh, getting them draws against them? It's a, it's a weird one. Like the uh, Lucas Moura goal was just that he jumped higher because he was all bouncy after coming off the subs bench for that <laughs> for that goal from the corner. And you expect them normally to that, that normally they deal with that. I thought City. I know Spurs didn't play very well, but I thought City kind of made that happen because they were all over them. They pushed really high, and they kept having the ball. They kept putting everything to one side so they could switch it to the other. It happened quite a lot. You saw Sterling was always uh, like free on the left, so he always had someone because uh, Walker Peters was there, but he'd get dragged inside because of the way that the City were pushing up that wing. So although Spurs. Uh, couldn't really get in the game it's because they just couldn't as soon as they tried to pass the ball out they were tackled and you saw it like time and time again but it is weird that then they keep getting these strange results and I mean, we're not going to talk about VAR but obviously that same thing happens that the, the law is applied accurately to All right, um, All right. Let's, let's, <laughs> let's do it now uh, Joel Grove please start the VAR timer in my opinion correct decision but it took too long and the new handball law is bonkers is this correct? He assisted it with his hand so I can sort of see why it's a handball but yeah I mean, it feels wrong in the stadium as well, doesn't it, Jeremy? Do you think UEFA or FIFA are ever going to care about that or is, is the horse bolted on that? I think they will care about it because I think I think that that is the big problem with VAR and you do have to you do have to think about the paying fan and although their biggest priority is always the the fact that there's loads more people watching it outside the stadium, that, that full stadium, the atmosphere in the stadium, the that emotion when you score a goal that is part of what makes the Premier League really popular. It's what beams around and all of that feel-good factor about the Premier League, that emotion and passion. And if, you, if you're routinely killing it, that is a problem and they do need to find a solution to make it. I mean, other sports have been quite effective at replays and kind of generating... Oh, that's it, we've run out of our minute. <laughs> Great shame. We will get back into it next week, I'm sure, when we have another exciting VAR thing to discuss. Um, what about De Bruyne and Sterling, Matt? They seem to be absolutely flying at the start of this season. Is this what happens when uh, players get a proper summer break? I think so. I mean, we saw it with Kane in the first week as well, who, who looked very sharp, um, who can start slowly. I mean, clearly having a proper break is is beneficial. I thought Sterling's header actually was superb. I mean, I know mm. everyone's been talking about the De Bruyne cross, but I've watched it a few times back, that Sterling header, and it's actually a really difficult header to score from. Because if he goes near post, the goalie saves it, and getting it right in that angle is really, really difficult from there. And he's not renowned for his heading ability. I mean, if Sterling starts becoming good at heading, then he's got the golden boot sewn up. I mean, that is that. Um, but then that's but, again because yeah. he's in space. Because they... He shouldn't be able to have that much space at the back post to get that header in, but it's all because they're pushing them all over to the right. Yeah, and he floats in. And I mean, those whip, those the bend that De Bruyne gets on his crosses is just fantastic. Do you know the XG in this game is three point three to Man City to, to Spurs is zero point two, like a proper hiding. Is that big? I don't follow it. That's massive. That it means it should yeah. be at least three 0 Basically, is what it should, it should be. I saw James Tucker wrote that Man City are going to beat someone ten nil. This season, yeah, I can that, see it. That yeah. nine nil, the Man United Ipswich from whatever that was, like ninety six or so. Um, it's been a record for a very long time now. It's quite a big scoreline. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Teams do tend to switch off as well, don't they? I mean, the thing is about City is they do have a, the ability to just keep pummeling their opponents. So maybe they will beat it one day. What about Pep and Aguero, Jeremy? Um, <laughs> they seem to have a little bit of a. Falling out, and then they were friends again. Um, and then again with Poch, it was a very huggy day for Pep Guardiola. Yeah. I think if I was working with someone like that, all that all that physical contact would begin to grind me down. Yeah, after but a while. Adam Adam doesn't go in for for that. I don't think in, in the, in the <laughs> that's, tele- that's the, the Telegraph Sports King. <laughs> I think it's it's 
uh, I just think it's his way, isn't it? And he is, I think that is his, I know that that the Manchester City documentary was very, very carefully edited, but I think the big strength of the, we always talk about the tactics of the super managers, but I think Guardiola, Klopp, Pochettino, it is their sort of people skills and people relationships that I think is their biggest strength. And that the way they handle young players is that that is all part of it. So, yeah, maybe the fact that he does it in public, I think, and the way he'll take on players at the end of games and stuff like that is a, is a bit unusual. But um, I think it sort of shows his sort of confidence and his standing that he doesn't really care what, what people see or, or, or don't see. Is he was it a bit contrived? Right? Like, could, could, couldn't he be doing all that behind closed doors? Is he doing that for a very specific reason? He wants it to be public. I don't know. I don't think it is. I think he just doesn't. I just think that his sort of stature and standing is such that he doesn't really worry too much about when and where he, he does things. Yeah. He was all over Ericsson as well, wasn't he, at the end end of the game? He does like doing it to Oppo players yeah, too. Give them a bit of coaching. And then, then we all think he's going to try and sign them. I don't think he is going to try and sign Ericsson. But I found it interesting that... Uh, given Ericsson's situation at Spurs at the moment, that he was laughing and joking and all pally-pally with Ericsson at the end of the game. Yes, one to watch in January there, potentially, if he's still around then. What about Chelsea, Matt? A first home game for Frank Lampard, a one-all draw with Leicester. Is their defence going to be a bit, a bit of a problem this season? <sighs> well, they need Rüdiger back, for sure. Rüdiger was their best defender last season, um, and he's definitely the best defender at the club. Um they need him back and it's clearly going to take a little bit of time for partnerships to start forming and that back four to start working. I also think actually that he'll have a look at Rhys James at right back once he's fit. He had a very good season on loan at Wigan. He's name-checked him a lot of times. Aspilicueta started the season a little bit slowly, to be honest with you. He looks p- possibly like his, his power is on the wane a little bit. Um so I think the defence will... I mean, that was one area certainly where you look at them and you think that the, the, the two ends of the pitch are their problem. I mean, the, the, their defence doesn't look right at the moment. looks like it's going to take time. And they've not given any real indication in the first few games or over pre-season that he knows, A, which is his best striker, and B, that any of those three strikers are really going to score 15, 20 goals this season. Um, it's a real work in progress for him. Great start for Chelsea, JJ. They were swarming all over Leicester to begin with, but then they had loads of chances, Leicester, to go ahead in the second half. How did Rodgers change it? How did he get his team back in charge of that match? Uh, I think the key was probably James Madison kept dropping into space between the lines of defence and midfield for Chelsea. And uh, I think that has to relate to like Azpilicueta's kind of declining ability because the way that Lampard's got them playing is that the fullbacks are going really, really high really quickly almost as though they were the wing-backs in like, like Conte's system. But because there's just four of them along the line, when, when they both go, you need a holding player um, ahead of the defence to drop back in and be that shield. But Jorginho is not, he's not very good at it. He's more of a ball player and he's not a destroyer. And I wonder whether someone like Azpilicueta might get moved into that role just to be a destroyer. Um, Potentially. Possibly. It would maybe suit his lack of Christensen as well has played that sort of role before. I think he might have played it in one of the games pre-season under Lampard as well. So that's another one he could look at there. That could be that. I mean, that that would stop people like Madison getting in the hole behind them. Tielemans a lot of the ball going forward as well. You saw Vardy was constantly looking to break behind the line, uh, but they couldn't get the ball into him. And I think that's just Leicester just finding their feet a little bit. I think they're going to be really good this season. Definitely, probably, uh, definitely, probably. They, I think they're uh, Chelsea and Leicester aren't that far apart. I don't think in the, terms of how good they are. There's the sort of any, well, not the only criticism, but the big criticism of Lampard at the weekend probably would have been that he he didn't actually change quick enough to what what JJ was just talking about. He he subbed off Jorginho eventually. Um, but he didn't actually tweak it enough early doors to to get hold of Madison. And I know that a lot of Dar- people who cover Derby, I used to work in Derby, so I, I do kind of follow Derby County a little bit. And that was a little criticism they had of Lampard last season, that he would wait too long to make changes and tweaks. And, you know, he's a, he's a young manager, and, and maybe that's something that he's going to learn along the way. I think as well, although you can re- it seems strange to relate it, too much to Hazard, especially defensively. But I think not having Hazard in the pitch changes the way teams set up against Chelsea yeah. and conversely has an effect on Chelsea's defence because teams are, are willing, are going to be much more willing to take more risks, play higher up and be that much more bold, knowing that 
a player that's so exceptional going forward is no longer in Chelsea's team. So I think I think that has an effect at both ends of the pitch for Chelsea. You would have thought that Kante, who's one of the best players in the world in his position, would be able to help with a lot of these issues you're describing. Is he being used correctly at the moment? But he's not. So he's not a holding midfielder. Um, just because he's small in French doesn't mean that he can play the Makaleli role. Uh, and he is always played in that the kind of on the side of a, of a three at Leicester. He was the one who went charging around winning the ball while Drinkwater sat there. So it was Drinkwater that actually held them in. And I think that's probably why they brought Drinkwater in as well as Kante back in the day. But you can't put Kante behind the two midfielders because suddenly that means you're going to have no one protecting there whatsoever. Whereas Jorginho, at least he's there. Um, and he is being used. You've seen people saying that he's being used out of position. That's his position. He's always played like on the right of a three or he's played in a two with a holding player. So he's been used just fine. <laughs> On the subject of Kante, we had someone on Twitter who's going by the name... Are we meant, sorry, N7. can I just interrupt? Are we meant to say Conte now? I keep hearing people saying Conte. I don't know. We need to take this to a poll. Have you got yeah. a strong feeling about Conte or Kante at afcpodcast.telegraph.co.uk? The reason I say Kante is because it was too confusing to me to hear Conte in a, in a Chelsea context after... Yeah. I say Kante because I say garage, not garage. Yeah. And <laughs> grass and not grass. It's like a street song. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anyway, at N7Kante over on Twitter says, could you ask Matt if he sees any of the Chelsea forward players except Adoy and Pulisic surviving this season? Surviving this season as in still being around next season? I assume being a long-term part of their future. Well, I mean, Pedro and William are quite old and they've only both after this season got one year left on their contract. So I'd have thought one or potentially both of them would go at the end of this season. Batshuayi already looks as though he's struggling to have a future. I mean, he hasn't been in the matchday squad the first two games. Um, if that carries on much longer, he'd, he'd be on his way. So, Tammy Abraham's got a future. I mean, even if Tammy Abraham has an average season this season, I think he's going to get a new contract. And I think as long as Lampard's manager, they're going to persist with him and, and certainly have him as part of the first team squad. So, Hudson-Odoi, Pulisic, Tammy Abraham, I would definitely think have a future. The other's for sure questionable. I think Abraham just needs a few more games where he's, uh, it's not just time given, but you can see that although he's a confident boy, you've got to be playing as a striker for Chelsea, he doesn't get involved with the play as much as like Giroud does. And you saw it, uh, uh, not yesterday, sun- yeah, Sunday, that Giroud was constantly being able to get the ball into his chest to lay it off, whereas Abraham doesn't quite stick with him. And that means that when Chelsea go forward, the ball just gets straight back at them. And he has to be given a chance to prove that he can do it, but also he has to do it straight away because Chelsea can't carry him. Yeah, I mean, I, I obviously watched a lot of him last season with him in line at Villa, and what I would say about him is he scores all his goals from inside the box, so he, do, he really doesn't do a lot outside the box at all. Mm. Um, he's not actually a clinical finisher. He's another one where you need to give him three or four chances and he'll score one or two usually. Um, and you've got to cross the ball a lot too. If you're going to play it down channels and try and have him holding up, I'm not sure he's that player. I'm really not. Yeah. Just because he's tall, he's not particularly that kind of player. That's it. Maybe that suits having a 10, like the old Lampard kind of player in behind him. Yeah. But that's, again, I mean, who did it? Mason Mount did it at the weekend. And I've not seen enough of him to know what level he's at. He seems to be good, but I don't know if, if he's the like proper top four Champions League level. He's Mason starting Mount. well yeah. every game, doesn't he? It was another very impressive opening 25 minutes for him, same as with the United game, but he, he did seem to have declining influence after that. That's going to happen, isn't it? I mean, he's not going to boss games in his you know first season in the Premier League. It's very unlikely that's happened. He, he's going to be a very good player, I think. Really, really good player, really talented. He thinks... I, I had to write a piece about Mason Mount before the season, so I ended up doing quite a lot of research on him. He for sure thinks his best position is actually almost as a kind of second striker, weirdly, mm-hmm. just off like you were talking about, just off someone like Abraham. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's he's going to play a big part this season, but you can't expect him to boss games for 90 minutes at his age. It's probably not, and his experience, it's not really feasible. What about- it just seems strange to talk about Chelsea so much as a work in progress and patience over players and we're so used to them having that expectation of being number one. Do you, I mean, do you sense, Matt, that the board and the owner are, and, see things in the same way and there'll be a level of patience that I do think there'll before? be 
a greater level of patience, whether they can be as patient as Liverpool were with Klopp, for instance, or Tottenham were with Pochettino in their first seasons when they went through bad runs. Um, They've got to be, though. I mean, they've chosen this path, and part of it's also been forced on them by the transfer ban. But, you know, if you're going to... If you don't stick with this now and you don't at least give it a full season, you really may as well close down the academy and just always go for the the Conte type of manager, you know, the one or two seasoned quick fix managers, knowing that you're going to have to sack them soon. Because otherwise, the only way to, to allow this to happen is to give it time. I mean, that's not to say that they can just accept finishing 15th. But, I, I, you know, I think they'll be top six, whatever happens. It'll be interesting what, what the fans think and how they express themselves as well because you've got a sense even just watching on telly on Sunday that they weren't that enamoured with hanging on at home. They won't be but I do think the match day fans are invested in it. I think the match day fans for instance you know they will take far more from Mason Mount scoring a goal at Stamford Bridge even if his performance in the second half drops off a little than they would just ex-player coming in and and scoring a goal. They, They do seem to be invested in it. I think they will give it a lot of time. You know, that's not to say they're not going to be frustrated at times and they're not going to boo at times and stuff, but I do think they are invested in in their part of trying to make this work. That's the match day fans, the the sort of Twitter supporters, I'm not quite sure, are, are so invested in it. Yeah, listen up at N7 Kante. You've got to, you've got to stay on Chelsea's side this season. Uh, farewell to Ashley Cole, who's retired from football. I ex- expect he's a player whose reputation will only grow in the future. Quite a good pundit, too, I thought, uh, at the weekend on Sky. Quite spiky. Shall we move on to the promoted teams in the Premier League and say Viva Norwich City and Viva Timo Pukki? Wonderful hat-trick for him against Newcastle JJ. He, he looks quite selfish to me. He's taking on quite a lot of shots, but on the evidence of that first one, especially that volley, he can afford to be. You don't get goals if you don't shoot, though. And He gets the chances, he creates them himself. The volley for the, the first goal, the volley, is superb. Being able to hit that shows great technique. It shows he's at the level they should be at. The thing about Puki that is so impressive, you saw it against Liverpool as well, is the way he moves in and out of space constantly. So you can't really track him. So you can't really man-mark him because you, you just lose a man. But then he'll just appear off the back of someone and nip in behind. Like the corner, he's a striker, but he turns up at the corner of the back post having not been at the back post. So it's it's really smart movement. And uh, he'll get he's a good uh, fantasy football purchase, I believe, this year. Yes, good tip for you there. I like what Daniel Falk said afterwards. It was a bit like a thunderstorm with several lightnings. Paints quite a picture. What about Newcastle? How ruined are they at the moment? And what does Steve Bruce need to address? I think it, I feel a bit sorry for... Steve Bruce it feels a bit like when Alex McLeish was a it was a villa that it's so hard when the leaving aside all the issues with whether the squad's good enough I just think that whole mood thing of a club is so hard to turn that round when it's wrong and when the manager appointment managerial appointment doesn't bring that sort of emphasis that fresh feeling and, and gets all the fans on side so I think it's a it's a it's a massive job and it and to, to, to have a chance you needed to get a good start and they've obviously not done that but I just, you just say when we cover clubs you just sense it when you go to a club yeah. sometimes with a manager or something like that and it, it's very very difficult you know at the end of Wenger you got it and, and mentioned McLeish and you, it's very very difficult to turn that around once you once that sort of mood sets in unless you get a really good start so it's it's I, 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 very early in the season, but already it's hard not to fear. They a bit, go to so. Tottenham next as well. I mean, they've had a, they've actually had a horrible set of fixtures because you know Arsenal and Tottenham, and then being the first team to have to go to Carrow Road was going to be difficult for any side other than probably Man City and Liverpool. And um, it's a horrible start for them, and you can only see it getting worse at Tottenham. And it's just the worst thing that could happen for him because that, like Jeremy says, the poisonous move is just going to get worse and worse. And also, I mean, it's going to start turning from Ashley onto him at some some say pretty quickly as well so I'm, I'm with Jeremy I actually feel sorry for Steve Bruce yeah, but I think you see it during the game like um, they're t- they're just not quite good enough to, to they fall short they were decent against Arsenal they did okay and in, in this game in the weekend the first goal was a set piece to let in and then the second two were just kind of goals they shouldn't really be conceding but they also they had chances that were just narrowly over the bar like Joe Linton just missed a header that maybe should have gone in or could have gone in another time but if you don't start 
getting the, if you get these chances, you then have to take them with Newcastle because if you already well, they're down six points, but against teams you expect them not to beat, and because the way their fixtures work, they're going to end up with zero probably for the first I don't know five or six six games, which looks so much worse than it actually probably is because you expect them maybe not to take points off those guys anyway. In Norwich, they should, but if they'd started with I don't know playing. I'll say Bournemouth for some reason and get three points there suddenly everything looks a bit better going into Christmas because you'd have those kind of points you'd expect to get in your season planning Speaking of Bournemouth it didn't work (laughs) out that well for uh, Aston Villa playing them this to me Matt suggested how big a step up it is going from the Championship into the Premier League because Bournemouth are a a middling competent team in the Premier League but they were just so clinical and you just get so punished in the Premier League it's so harsh that you know small mistakes can lose you games well it's big mistakes I mean that that Heaton challenge after 45 seconds was horrendous I mean he lost it for such an experienced guy to lose his head like that so quickly. It was a completely pointless um, trip on him. It, the ball was going out of play, it looked like. Um, yeah, gave themselves a mountain to climb. I mean, I'm actually, I, I watched the highlights and my dad was there and I'm, I'm, I'm told... My, my, my man and dad were there, actually, not just my dad. Um, they were told... Big, big up to Carol. Exactly, why she'll be, she'll, she'll be emailing in again. Um, I'm told they played quite well. Uh, but you, you know, you lose two goals in twelve minutes, and you're probably not going to come back. The feeling around Villa is still very positive. I'm still very positive about them, so nothing's kind of turning ugly very quickly. But they do have lessons to learn, and it's it's already clear as well that you know it's going to be a little bit of a bedding in process, and that maybe the first few weeks are going to be more difficult than perhaps we'd hoped. Absolute screamer from Douglas Louise, though, to pull one back. And John McGinn, surely only a matter of time before he scores an absolutely amazing goal. So at least the goal of the season competition will be exciting Sevilla. Correct. What about Sheffield United, JJ? You had plenty to do with them last week in your work outside of the podcast. Um, Luke Freeman inspired them, of course, former (laughs) QPR hero, to, uh, to get the win against Palace. What did you make of their performance? Uh, I thought they were decent. They deserved the win. Um, XG says that as well. But uh, what uh, we were talking about, I wrote this piece earlier in the week. I spoke to Alan Nill, the assistant manager, um, about the over- overlapping centre backs, which we covered in the pod a couple of weeks ago. But um, the first goal at Bramall Lane in the Premier League this season was born just exactly from that. You had Jack O'Connell overlapping on the right, uh, on the left, sorry. Um, McGoldrick passes to him, O'Connell comes over, and then Freeman sort of steals. I think the pass is meant to go out to O'Connell. And he nicks it, and that's how he's able to go past him to pass across the the box. But at least we know it works. Nil says they're going to play that way this season because it's worked for the last three years, um, and it seems to work. So, good. Palace pretty dire, I thought, Jeremy. Do you think Roy Hodgson will sort them out? They started last season dreadfully um, and, and got it together in the yeah, end. Yeah, you feel like they... Hodgson, you look at his track record and you think that he'll, he'll sort of get them to 15th or something like that, but it, 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 it feels like a club that's sort of a little bit stale at the moment and a few Palace fans are speaking to who were sort of fe- felt a bit scared of changing manager but equally kind of wanted to change manager, a bit sort of bored of Hodgson and want something a little bit different, whether that speaks for all of them. You, you sort of feel like he's a... A safe pair of hands and we'll probably find a way to avoid getting right in the relegation scrap but equally I don't know if they're going to push forward and go to the, the and, and the Zaha thing hangs over them as well um, yeah I, I think they'll be okay just because I think Hodgson's such a good coach and is so experienced at the Premier League but yeah it, it feels like they're their season is probably going to be one of the less interesting ones. Yeah, this is obviously not a scientific measure of anything, but I find just looking at their eleven each week, like especially with Wan-Bissaka gone, it is it, it's it's just not exciting, is it? That that, that list of players is. So, I don't know. I think that's harsh. You know, Zaha should be very exciting, uh, and Josh Townsend can be quite exciting on his day. I don't think they're that. They're that much of a sort of dirge. They they can score some really good goals. Um, so I think it feels quite last season they were actually quite good away from home, yeah. and they were terrible at home. So if their away form goes, they really are in trouble. I, there's a lot. There's so much riding on Zaha though, and his attitude and whether he picks up. There are actually quite a lot of games last season that he went sort of missing in, um, and he does have a tendency to do that. It may not be just to do with his his mood, and there's going to be a lot of focus on that now because they've. They've called him a hundred million pound player, and if you're a hundred million pound player, you can't go missing against teams like Sheffield United. He's always been a little bit streaky, hasn't he? He does yeah. sort of tend to fade from games a little bit, and then suddenly become amazing. I, reckon, I, th- I think he'll come back. He's uh, by all accounts like sort of a, a proper pro, and 
not one to strop for too long. So I'm sure I'll be excited by Crystal Palace again in short <laughs> order. Let's rattle through the rest of the Premier League now, starting with Southampton, Jeremy, where you were on Saturday. A uh, wonderful goal for Sadio Mane. Do you think he's the most important of Liverpool's front three at the moment? Um, he's certainly he, he's the one that gives them that bit of pace and maybe a, a bit more unpredictability. I still think Firmino sort of knits the team together the most, if that makes sense. He he, he brings the most balance, obviously. The statistics and goals would say Salah's the best of them. But I, I think Firmino's the most important, but Mane probably gives them the most variation. Uh, overall, they weren't... I mean, it was probably to be expected after playing in Istanbul, but the on, on the Wednesday, coming back late Thursday and then having to travel to Southampton on Friday, I think there was just a big relief to get through the game by winning and it could easily have been a draw. Um, but it's been quite a sort of tricky start so far for Liverpool, a bit like... Matt was saying on Tottenham, they've not they've not really played that well in 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 the games, and and they've been more open defensively than expected. But yeah, they found a way through, and they're two points ahead of Manchester City, who looked far better than them on Saturday. Really, Adrian giving a convenient demonstration <laughs> of why Liverpool probably need Allison back in the long run. There was a horrible Allison howler, wasn't there, at the beginning of last season? Is it good that Adrian's got it out now that he's he's made that mistake and he won't be so casual again, or is he just not going to be up to the task that, of playing that, it out from the back? That seemed to be Klopp's hope, didn't it? From his reaction to it, it was almost like, oh, he's got that one out of the way now. Great. Um, I don't know. <laughs> you can't keep saying that, can you? <laughs> no, I, oh, don't worry. I, I don't know. There's only four I, left. He doesn't look like a guy who's that confident with his feet to me. Um, I also thought the centre-backs let him down a little bit on that because surely uh, I'm going to go right into JJ territory here. And I thought when the ball goes back to goalie, if you're going to play it out, the centre-backs are meant to split for the goalkeeper. And they didn't really split at all and he ended up trying to have to play a very straight pass. And that's what caught him out. Um, But I would be tempted for while Adrian's in to just say to him, hoof it. Yeah. (laughs) No shame in it. Yeah, Yeah. I actually think that's not a bad idea. There's times when you can play it and those would be obvious. But that's a direct example of when someone like Allison makes your team so much better. Yeah. And also the centre backs didn't help him. He didn't look comfortable. It wasn't just that one as well. There was two or three in the first half that could have that, that were like moments where everybody kind of gasped. It wasn't. It was. It was. It was coming. It wasn't like one one mistake. He he, he looked ropey with his with his clearances throughout the game. Players will feel that as well, won't they? If they you can feel it. Yeah, and it creates a, it, it yeah. creates a tension. Yeah. Do the ex-Southampton players still get a bit of a horrible reception at St Mary's? Not really. It's not, it's not, Southampton's not really sort of... Uh, Aggie. It's not quite that. I mean, Van Dyke probably got the worst of, of, of the receptions. I think there was a few shouts at Lallana while he was sort of warming up, because, only because he sort of said he was going to stay forever or he'd like to stay forever. But obviously that was before Liverpool asked him to, to join them um, I think yeah Mane went in quite a, a fairly you know went, credit to Mane for celebrating good, his goal in a good way yeah yeah I, I've always thought because that, that was his stupid. first that yeah, was his yeah. first goal against Southampton it was, wasn't yeah, it yeah so he could have easily tried to do the non-celebration. I, I so. thought actually, because I was, I was watching that and wondering, is he going to do it? And I thought he thought about not celebrating and I was like, no, you know what, I'm doing it. Which he's, is which is great to yeah, see. Yeah, he's gone up in my estimation. Yeah. Less sure about Firmino's celebration, which Joel Grove tells me is something from Fortnite, but I couldn't. I spent a long time looking at Fortnite dances on YouTube to try and marry it up with the one, but I couldn't make it work. I'm 100 years old. JJ, <laughs> what about Arsenal? You were there on Saturday. Pretty thrilling going forward now. Um, encouraging showing from Danny Sabalos. What did you make of Pepe's debut as well? Uh, Ceballos was unbelievable. Like um, He was getting a standing ovation in the first half. Uh, actually, weirdly, for winning a tackle. <laughs> but uh, I think it's one of the things that Arsenal fans seem to really like about him is that not only is he getting the ball, turning, uh, completely doing in players with bits of skill and, and uh, you had Burnley players grabbing his neck at points, telling him to wise up because he was basically extracting the Michael from, what, what, from them. But uh, you had him in the first half just working solidly to try and win the ball back. It was really important that he did it. And that work rate, you would never have Ozil doing it, for example. And just winning that throw-in was one little bit which helped him keep the ball up the, up the pitch. But it also was how they scored their second goal because Ceballos came up, charged down, closed down Goodmanson and uh, his tackle was what set Aubameyang up. But it's weird. I thought Burnley were great in this game. They were so aggressive from the start, played, pushed really high. Uh, I think you had Ben Mee was often the, the last man, but he was a few yards inside Arsenal's half. And they didn't expect it. Emery said in, uh, after the match that they had to change their game plan because I don't think they expected 
to be getting pushed so deep. And all their players were then going deeper and deeper to keep the ball. They had more possession, 70% possession or something like that. But it meant that they couldn't get out. And then they took Nelson off at half-time, who was playing wide left, because they were getting done there. And that's when Pepe came in, and he is something else. He was doing amazing things with that ball. Again, the crowd, every time he got the ball, were getting excited. And I love watching players like that, just skinning people with little licks and tricks. I think Super. it's a really big thing for Arsenal that they've won their first two games. It's the first time in about 10 years, isn't it? Yeah. And the mood just around the club, they've, they've, it feels to me like they've had bad starts for, for so long and the mood at the start of the season for Arsenal has always been awful and that they're going to have a terrible season. They've actually generally managed to pick out of it quite well. Um, but to actually now have a positive start, albeit, I know they only beat Burnley 2-1, but to just have a positive start, if they could get something against Liverpool, I just think it's going to help them so much to have that better lifted mood around the club. Jeremy will know far better than me. Yeah, I think with the dark, the sort of dark days in terms of the fans and Wenger just got to a point, even you could win nine games in a row and then a, a one defeat and it would all just, you know, go back to that. So it was, it was got, it was impossible really that, that situation. But um, I do think Arsenal could be the team of the sort of six that, the, the, that have a marked improvement this season that, and, and that might, I think it could surprise Tottenham, certainly get above Chelsea could have quite a good chance of finishing third. Second probably seem the top two do seem there's a distance, but I think they could be the team with the way the window's gone. Had a year of Emery, who's a, you know, he's not a great charismatic figure, but he's, a, from everything we know, he's a big sort of training ground coach who, who works the team very hard. So this should be the year where the work that he's done at should 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 begin to show in the way he wants to play. So, I, st- I still yeah. think Aubameyang slightly underappreciated as well. Oh, just what a player! Mm. Yeah, I mean his goals ratio and what did they spend on him? About fifty million, something like that. Yeah, it I wasn't, mean, and he's not on. You know, Ozil was paid. He, they didn't have to put him on yeah. super super. It's a know, great big, deal. That big wages. For, I mean, I'm I'm wages. one of the most guilty for giving Arsenal stick about a lot of their awful business, but um, he was great business, and he is great great player. I think he, for some reason amongst the Canes and the Salars and the Agueros, I think people tend to think of him as a level above that, but below that, sorry. And he's not at all. He's on that Finish, level. Finishing, top scorer last yeah. Yeah. Finishing and goals-wise, he's as yeah. good. It's just whether his all-round game is, is as he, complete he as some of those. He drifted in and out, didn't he? Like, he, he started wide right, and then it wasn't until he got on the left that he really made a difference in the game uh, on, on, on Saturday. But that's it. He doesn't have to have many touches, and he often has the fewest touches, but they're so... Dangerous when he gets the ball, tends to be in advanced positions. I like how Sean Dice, when he comes out into these press conferences, uses them to uh, to test his stand up material. I don't know if you've not <laughs> every single time he, was, he went in a rant for ages about um, about people diving in games. Did that get covered quite a lot? Yeah, yeah, he yeah. did it. He did that rant several times last season. He's got, I mean, he has got a it's, point. It's a good bit. It's a good bit. He's got a tight five. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it's not like his point isn't without merit. But he has repeated that point an awful lot, and he does tend to overlook the complaints that other teams would have about his his side's very physical approach. So yes. six or one half a dozen of the other. High hopes for Arsenal, though. Maybe it will be enough for some of the fans to stop calling Emery Bruce Rioja. What about West Ham, <laughs> Matt? It's been a tricky start to their season. We haven't seen much from their new signings. Um, uh, pretty lucky to get a draw at Brighton. Yeah, but it's it's not a bad draw, is it? And let's face it, they played Man City in the first game, so I don't think we can take too much in terms of judgment from their their first two games. I disagree. They're ruined. It's over. I <laughs> um, Chikorito, Scott. I didn't expect to see much of him this season. I've got got to admit, whether we will see much of him going forwards, I don't know. Um, Haller Haller didn't play this game, did he? He was he was out for this game. Um, Shrugged your shoulders at me then. <laughs> Terrible don't know research. the answer. <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was you out you for that. <laughs> um, but no, I I can't make any judgment on West Ham at the moment. They played Man City, which was always a write-off, and they've got a decent point at Brighton. All right, let's jump to some conclusions about other teams then. Everton <laughs> beating Watford at home. What early things can we say about those two teams, JJ? Have you got something? Have you got something you? Willing to stake your one of your many blue shirts on? Yeah, Watford and Everton are both really medium, and they're p- both probably going to swap their managers. Well, not swap, just get rid at some point in the season. I don't think they're a big call. Everton are going to sack Marco Silva this season. I don't think Everton have enough in them to get close to top six, and will end up just top ten. And I don't think that's enough. 
and you'd think that at some point, if someone were to be available that could be coaxed with some Premier League money, it's not a bad place to go. It's a good place to go. Yeah, spent yeah. the last four four years. They've spent about four hundred million, haven't they? I mean, they've got money back too. They've not just spent yeah. it without getting, but they've spent an awful lot of money. It's in a lot of players that you probably wouldn't remember when you're doing those quizzes and Sporkle, <laughs> like in ten years' time. That's the problem. There's no. They're players they had before that they replaced them. They're they're a little bit better, but then that's the problem with the, with the league now, isn't it? Is that to get a player that's going to take you up a league place, you've got to spend about eight billion pounds, and they're not available. on the highlights. Moyes Keane looked quite good when he came on. Thank only good seen, not here. Not yeah, I know. I've only seen the highlights, but if he, you know, he, that was looked like a bright sort of cameo appearance. So much is going to rest on how he does for them. I think. Yeah, lovely turn and shot for that goal. That um, well, not goal. The shot that went just wide of the post. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's Man United Wolves at Molyneux on Monday night. Some news, Jeremy, that Alexi Sanchez might be off to Internazionale. Can selling a player or just getting rid of them from the squad help with the team's overall morale? Yeah, definitely. It can make a huge difference. I think it can. I think it, and I think Sanchez, he he got to be a problem as we know at Arsenal in his in his last season there. And, we talked about Aubameyang, which the Sanchez deal was done at the same time. And given how many months left he had on his contract and given what he had delivered in the sort of six months to a year before that, it was extraordinary. The, the money, probably more on wages than, than transfer fee because of his contract situation that, that went on him. He, he suddenly became, I think just because Manchester City were interested as well, he suddenly had this sort of status as Manchester United was signing a kind of player of the very top tier when really he's a player of the next tier if that makes sense he's not a, he's not a Hazard or De Bruyne or someone like that he was always the next tier in the Premier League when he was at Arsenal as well he wasn't he wasn't so and and he, he you know he was he, he certainly had a reputation at Arsenal of being quite sulky quite selfish that he he was didn't particularly mix that well and he and quite self-centered was was the perception of him and um I think if you get that, that can be a real problem in, in addressing. And there's been lots of examples where teams have, have it just is sort of like a release when, when somebody goes like that. I don't know the inside of Manchester United well enough to know how much impact that's having. It seems to me that Pogba over the last year or two has probably had a, a just as similar, maybe worse negative impact, certainly in, at the time Mourinho was there. But yeah, it can, it can, it can be make a massive difference positively sometimes right as mentioned no Mina Rizuki this week so we're abandoning Europe and let's put on some traditional British music as we talk about the football league Leeds United starting well Matt in the championship as they did last year do you think they can stay the course this season they should do this season the, the championship the the <laughs> the standard it will be very competitive I think it's it, the standards just dropped a little bit for this season I don't think it will be I think Leeds should get up more comfortably this season I don't think there's quite the competition around them West Brom will be up there but they've lost their, their two main strikers so they shouldn't be quite as, as strong as they were What about Charlie Austin? Charlie Austin Great yeah. championship striker Yeah but I mean they had sort of 50 goals in Dwight Gale and Jay Rodriguez last season that's a lot of goals to make up so I, I would definitely expect um, Leeds to, to go again and get up this time and they needed to start well after they'd collapsed so badly at the end of last season, they have started well. So you'd expect them now to lead from the front. Stoke's an interesting one. Stoke, I mean, the, the, the guy they brought in from Luton just really hasn't done anything for them at all. Nathan Jones. Um, I could see him, in, if we're predicting managers getting sacked, I could see Nathan Jones being in trouble soon because I thought Stoke would start this season well and they haven't really. And I can't see him having much longer to turn it around there. Yeah, it doesn't always seem to work that well, appointing from the league below. There was that Shrewsbury fellow who went to Ipswich. That was a bit of a disaster yes. last year as well. However, Lincoln City, JJ, flying in League One. Three wins from three. Eight scored, none conceded after promotion from League Two last season. Can they hang on to the Cowleys? I know you're a big fan of their work. If, if yeah. it continues, surely a championship team will take a chance on, uh, on that. Well, they're on so, you know, this uh, weird idea I have that you have to have won something by the time you're 43 as a manager if you are to become a top 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 level manager nothing weird about it we've seen the facts JJ. we've all proven. read the piece <laughs> well uh, Cowley's on board like he's he's on track and what they've done with Lincoln is and in lower league teams below that as well they're clearly know exactly what they're doing 
and there's I mean you have like Johnny Pundit is always on about English managers not getting a chance this is the this is the next like one like Graham Potter I think his record proves that he can do it and he's shown what he can do at Brighton already uh, the Cowleys or Danny in particular they could be I mean a championship club is most likely that would take him maybe Stoke but uh, who knows uh, or maybe but then someone like I don't think he'd be it depends who he's surrounded with but would it be mental for him to go to someone like Everton is that too much yes Does, you need the experience it would be <laughs> mental top, top club don't like Alex Ferguson went from St. Mirren to Aberdeen to Man United yes I mean he did win European quite, quite a long time <laughs> yeah. well, stop, stop trying to get Everton to suck their manager I don't know yeah. I, I just wonder with the Cowleys whether uh, I, I'm surprised by now I thought West Brom I mean, they got Billich, which looks like a good hire at the moment, but uh, I thought West Brom would have a real serious look at the Cowleys and clubs like that. I wonder whether there's just that fear that the joint manager thing is for some reason working at Lincoln and just isn't going to work anywhere else because it feels so different. I think probably clubs are scared of that. Maybe, but then what you see... I don't know how it works, though. I actually don't know how that relationship works, whether it's basically like a manager and assistant and they just happen to be related uh, yeah. or whether it is actually joint managers I'm, I'm honestly not sure I think it is more that Danny takes the lead right um, but what I mean you see it all the time especially in championship and, and lower leagues they just hire as a, clubs hires a manager who has experience because that means that they're definitely probably not going to get definitely probably again not going to get relegated uh, by having that experience so if you have a person who knows how teams and clubs at that level work you're probably in safe hands but you never really achieve anything. So it's brave to have ambition and go for someone young like the Cowleys who has limited experience at a higher at the level you want to be at. But it's been proven time and time and again throughout different leagues. Like you look at in Italy especially, loads of teams at Serie C um, do well with a, a manager like well Ranieri back in the day or, or Saki, something like that. But you take them into the into the top league. Sure enough, like I know it's a bit mad <laughs> suggesting it goes to Everton and that. But the game doesn't change from league to league. The, the way you manage a te- and coach a team is not going to change that much. You're going to have different coaches below you. The other stuff is different, and that's maybe what you wouldn't know how they'd adapt to it. But I don't see why you wouldn't, as a team like West Brom, who's stuck. Like Stoke and West Brom are just stuck in that league forever now. They're never. But going Stoke anywhere. have tried, in fairness to them. Stoke appointed Nathan Jones from Luton. So St- Stoke have tried to do exactly what you're saying. Yeah. I, I, so I think it's harsh to throw it at Stoke. I, I totally agree with your point. But I do think there's probably a stepping up process to be done. And what the Cowleys, the Cowleys will have, I'd imagine, total control at Lincoln. They haven't got that outside pressure on them. They haven't got all the other things. So you'd probably want them to go into quite a big championship club to see how they cope with everything else as well as what they're showing that they're good at, which is the, the, the coaching side of things. Or maybe they'll just take Lincoln all the way. Stranger well, things yeah. have happened. They're football manager fans. They've played that all the time, and that is the best thing to do. So <laughs> there we go. Finally, Jeremy, what's happening with Berry? It seems an absolute mess. Is there any prospect of it being sorted? Well, it seems like this week is obviously going to be could be decisive week it's really i mean everybody looks to the football league on it and it's i, I find it fascinating because i i think that the i think the the sort of fit and proper argument i think that is a really difficult one for the football league to get right i think where the level at which you've got to look at them is is the the rules on their on profit loss and how a club is being run at the time and the accounting that's going on i think in terms of the ownership it's very very difficult to sometimes with a crystal ball know what an owner's going to be like. I know that there were people in the Football League as recently as sort of around Christmas that where Berry had a good academy, good links with Manchester City, Manchester United. They moved players on. They took they they were very trusted to take players from those clubs. Um, they were seen as a, a really good example of a of a Football League club that kind of knew their place in the pyramid and was developing players and was run sensibly. And then obviously what's happened has happened but it's not if if you look at the accounts of the football league clubs there's loads of clubs storing up problems and i think that's where the football league have got to be tighter is is actually looking at, at how much these clubs are gambling on trying to get into the premier league and and looking at whether the rules around that are strong enough to prevent things like this happening again. i don't know whether it's possible but i wonder whether there's a point where i mean for instance bury they they seem to 
I, I accept what you're saying, and it sounds like you know more about Berry than I do, but they also paid someone like Jermaine Pennant like five grand a week to go in there to, to help them go up, which seemed mental at that level. I wonder whether when a club is making a signing like a Jermaine Pennant, whether there's got to be more stringent checks on how they're actually going to pay that player and how that works. There may already be. But that kind of, the overspending, I mean, Portsmouth obviously were the biggest example of it and just fell right through the lease. There's, there's too much of it going on as well. You've got the Bolton situation, you've got Coventry having to play at St Andrews at the moment and their ongoing problems that they just don't seem to be able to get out of it. Something needs to change. I totally agree with with Jeremy that, you know, the fit and proper test is a very difficult one to criticise because at the the end of the day, if you do the checks on the guy and they seem to have the money or they seem to have the finances to do it, what are you meant to do if they then go in and, you know, act almost against the goodwill and, and act in a different way, even if they've got the finances? I don't know how you police that. But there's too much of it going on and there's too many clubs gripped by these owners who don't seem to care about the club at all or, or care about what might happen to the club. That, yeah. that something needs looking at. Just got to hope it's sorted sooner. It's been a real... three games, haven't they? They've got a 12-point deduction. It's just one you hope is dealt with sooner rather than later. Finally, let's talk again about the wonderful man, Timo Pukki, who put in a wonderful performance for Norwich at the weekend. But I want to know from each of you, who is the league's greatest all-time footballing fin, JJ Bull? Oh, before we go to JJ Bull, what about Nelly Man 10 on Twitter? He says, Peter Enkelman, also Owen Bridgman. It has to be Sammy Hippier for me. Have your say using social media. Why not? It's 2019. JJ, have your say using a microphone. <laughs> well, I'm assuming you've got some sort of pun in place, like Mickey Finn or something like that. No, he was a good one. Okay, well, Sammy Herpier, he was great. Yep. And he was Finnish. Correct. Ge- Jeremy? Uh, it's nothing to do with being a Southampton fan, but can I say Anti Niemi, who was a heroic performances in the 2002 3 uh, FA Cup final run? Uh, and he actually, he, he he sort of, although he's probably quite low profile to most people, he's, he he has a still has a sort of enduring cult status at, at Southampton. He was a very popular player as well. Excellent. Did you ever hear that radio bit with um, Antinumi on the in Scottish radio, where someone phoned in? No. Oh my God! So someone phoned in to um, to complain why um, Antinumi isn't getting in the Scotland team when he's play for Rangers. <laughs> he says because he's finished. And the guy goes, he's no finished. <laughs> As in finished. He's 29. (laughs) Matt. Can't beat that now. Um, Yari Littmanen was probably the most talented. I'm not sure... I'm not sure he was... We saw the best of him at Liverpool in the Premier League. So probably hippier again. Peter Enkelman, definitely not, by the way, for that guy who suggested that. He was the guy who let the... Yeah, exactly. Birmingham City fan, clearly. No way him. But surprising amount of decent fins. Yeah. Overrepresented. Yeah. Like Norway in pop music. That's your lot for this week. We'll be back with you next Tuesday, owing to the bank holiday. We're entitled to a day off. It's fine. Don't worry about it. You can contact me on Twitter if you'd like to before then. It's at Tom with an H Gibbs. Also, send us an email. Why not? AFC Podcast at telegraph.co.uk is the address. David Eastlake has been in touch saying, I'm an expat in Hong Kong and I love your podcast. I am a lifelong Spurs supporter. My grandfather was born 100 yards from White Hart Lane and I've missed you guys. Great podcast. I tell all my friends what you're doing. Pretty sure no one I'm trying to sell your podcast to listens to my pitch, but it's their loss. Very well said, David. You can also be like David and have your name read out on a podcast. What a thrill. Just send us an email. Don't forget to subscribe as well. Look for Telegraph Audio Football Club wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks to Joel Grove on the buttons and thanks to you for your company. I'll talk to you again soon. 